Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch. We're in Season 2 of the show, and this season is all about the Fallout role-playing game. Now, I realize I'm starting to sound like a broken record here, and if you don't know what that means, Google it, kids. But if you don't already have a copy of the rulebook, stop into your local game or bookshop, or if those aren't available, you can order directly from Modifius Entertainment through their website. That's M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. Okay, so last week it felt like we covered a lot of ground, but as I was reminded in a number of DMs this week, I talked a lot, but we didn't get nearly as much done as we probably should have. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again here. I'd rather stop a bit early if I've got a logical stopping point, and that's because I'd rather work segment by segment. That means there are going to be weeks where I spend a lot of time working background on the situation and not actually writing a lot of the situation. But I do try to balance that by setting episodes up that so when we get rolling, ooh, we really get rolling. Now with that said, let's get into this week's build and let's start with the recap of last week's build. We started with the group back on board the Pacificus. Elder Sanvar met with them and thanked them for their work in neutralizing Jessica Denman. Now, regardless of how that particular encounter ended, she was pleased, and she now had another request. She needed the group to follow up on a report that Garson Tactical had one final base located on the west side of downtown. If Denman was still alive, the group had the opportunity to try to convince her to give them an exact location. That interaction wasn't the easiest, but if they succeeded, they got the exact location of the base. Otherwise, they had about a five-block space of real estate to work from. They got a vertebrae to take them to the location, and if they didn't have the exact spot, they wound up having to fight a group of glowing ones before they got there. Once there, they easily made access, but they had to deal with a variety of traps before they found the cellar entrance, which they assume is the entrance to the bunker Garson Tactical is at. That is where we left off last week, and we'll pick up with the group at the bottom of the stairs at said entrance. Now, the group's going to be on high alert, especially after all the traps they had to deal with before they got to this point. And again, they should be looking for and aware of the possibility of laser turrets, especially since they've run into so many of those along the way. There aren't any this time, but we definitely want them to be back on their heels a little bit. In fact, if you want to put a certain level of tension on this, you can say things like, you hear something that sounds like a weapon being cocked, or you hear that familiar sound of a turret locking on. When they want to see what's there, have them roll whatever you'd like to have them to figure it out. It's perception plus luck, difficulty one. That'll work good. Doesn't really matter what you've got them using or, or what their role is. At the moment, they're not going to see anything. So we're basically going to give them an opportunity to pick up some free action points. Now, normally we'd put a long hallway or something here to stretch out that anticipation a bit longer. But instead, we're going to put a military-style door and gate about 10 feet from the base of the stairs. 20 might be a little bit better for the way we're setting it up. On either side of the door, there are half walls with one-inch diameter bars of thick steel placed about two inches apart or so. They run vertically to the ceiling. Now, those are crisscrossed by another set of bars, the same thickness, and it forms basically a checkerboard pattern. There's a computer monitor just to the left of the door, and the solid metal door frame seems to have secured and blocked from the view of anyone or anything down the hall. In other words, you can't look through the door. Speaking of down the hall, if at this point the group thinks to check through the bars to see what's actually down there, 
They do see what appear to be two large oval glass windows running about half the length of the walls on either side of the hallway, and there's another door down at the end of it. The windows are dark, so it's either dark in the rooms they're in front of or they've been blacked out. Distance is difficult to determine from their current position, and they also have no idea whether or not there are doors on those walls. What they can see are two laser turrets in the hallway. There's one on each side of the wall, and they're set up above the windows. For our purposes, we'll just go ahead and tell you what they are, and they are the three-shot laser turrets, which have got stats on page 381. The group isn't going to be able to easily figure that out from where they're standing, but if you want to give them an intelligence plus science check with a five difficulty, they can get it. The difficulty's as high as it is because they're trying to figure out what they're dealing with through metal bars and at a distance. It should also be noted that at this point, those turrets have not locked onto them. So they've got the time to game plan what they're going to do once they get the door open. They may also think that these were the things making that locking on noise earlier, but they weren't. But let them think whatever you want. Obviously, the door's locked. This gives them two options, blow it in or use the computer terminal to unlock it. Now look, blowing it in is going to probably alert Garson to their presence, so the logical choice is going to be to hack it. I mentioned the idea of blowing that door in because I know some parties might not have somebody with the ability to hack a computer at the skill needed to hit the difficulty, so they've always got another option. It's intelligence plus science, again, with a difficulty 5, and we're going to state that the only way someone can assist is if they come up with an exceptionally logical explanation as to how they're going to help. Yes, I do realize we're demanding a lot more roleplay from the group at a late stage of the game, but it's occurred to me that we've probably needed to do this all along, so I figured if I put it in here, you might have the chance to adjust all the stuff we've written previously to take this into account. For those who've been playing as we've been creating, well, let's just consider it a primer for Season 3. Now, it should have occurred to the group that they need to be ready to take action against the turrets, but this isn't something where the turrets just start locking on and shooting once the door's open. They don't lock on until somebody actually walks through the doorway and get into that part of the hallway. Then they'll lock on and open fire. However, if they run back through the doorway, back to where they were, the turrets will stop shooting and return to standby status. This is about the point, once they get through that doorway, where they realize there are doors on either wall and they're towards the end of the hall, which is why they weren't easy to see from where they were. And they figure it out because a half a dozen Protectron robots come out through those doorways and advance on the group. Now, so long as the group stays behind the bars and the door, the turrets won't open fire. If at any point someone goes through the doorway, the turrets open up again. The Protectrons won't be as easy. They'll shoot lasers through the bars and they're going to attempt to hit the group members. Now, that being said, we should increase the difficulty to two for any attack made on either side of the bars since you're essentially trying to thread the needle to make the shot. Granted, it's a decent-sized needle, but the mechanics of the game pretty much dictate we should do it this way. And before I forget, stats for Protectrons are on page 363. Once the Protectrons and turrets have been taken care of, the group can make their way down the hall. Now, this hall runs about 200 feet, and the windows are set about 25 feet down from the door they entered on either wall and run about 115 feet before they stop at a door. Both doors are opened, and the group can stick their heads in to see what's what, if they want. And what's what are three more Protectrons in each room, which activate just as the group gets to the doorways, so it's another robot battle. And before you ask, yes, I realize we're doing another combat-heavy show this week, but 
Considering what the group's looking to accomplish here, it makes sense that they'd need to fight their way in. Don't sweat it too hard, though, because I'm pretty sure the next job's going to have a stealth option. Don't quote me on that, but that is the current plan. Oh, and don't forget the self-destruct entry in the Protectron stats. That could milk some health points out of the group as they work through, and it might diminish their Stimpak supply. That being said, it's also entirely possible that one exploding could take out a couple of more, so keep track of where you have them positioned. All of that being said, the encounters we've got here should go fairly smoothly for the group, though the laser turrets might be a bit more difficult. But the group should have their tactics down smoothly enough at this point to handle it fairly easily. Okay, so that brings us to the door at the end of the hall. Much like the previous one, it's solid steel, it's locked, and it has a computer terminal to the left of it. The walls are also solid steel, and they run floor to ceiling, so there aren't any bars or any way to see what's beyond them. Now, since the group succeeded in the last hack, if the person who succeeded at that one tries this one, they get their intelligence plus science check at a three difficulty because they've had a look at the encryption being used and they have a better understanding of how to hack it. If anybody else tries it, difficulty is five, but the person who did the previous hack could assist for the reason I just mentioned. Getting through this door, the group's probably on edge, wondering what's about to come at them, but we're gonna give them a bit of a breather here and not have anything in the hallway. It runs another 250 feet and there's another metal door at the end. There are also two doors on either side of the hall and they are evenly spaced apart. I'll let you lay out where those doors are. Just understand that the rooms they lead to are approximately the same size. All four rooms are laid out exactly the same way, so I'll give you one description and you can apply it to all of them. These were once used as offices, or they were intended to be offices. There's a desk, desk chair, filing cabinets, and a couple of chairs on the hallway wall with a small table between them. There aren't any decorations or anything on the desks, the drawers are empty, and the file cabinets are also empty. Now there is a computer terminal on the desk, and it does have power. It's even unlocked if and when they turn it on. The bite in the butt about this, though, is that it is not on the network, so they have no way to tap in and try to take a peek into the system. That also means if they want to, oh, you know, plant a virus in the Garson internal system, it's going to be a complete waste of their time. Now, you don't necessarily have to tell them that if you don't want to. You can let them do whatever they want and think that they succeeded, only for them to figure out the reality later on. I guess that sort of depends on how you like to treat your group, so if you like messing with them, be my guest. Once they're done with the rooms, it's another hack on the door, as it's set up exactly like the last one. If the same person did the previous two hacks, their intelligence plus science difficulty drops to a two, because they're really starting to get a pretty good idea about how this program works. If there have been two who've done it, and one of those is doing it again, that difficulty drops to three, but that's still better than having a third person who hasn't done it try it at a five. See where we're going here? The door opens and the hall goes down 75 feet before it turns to the left. There is a desk in the corner right at that turn, and it appears to have been a security checkpoint of some point at one time, but it's bare at this moment except for the monitor on the desk, which is set up exactly the same as the ones in the office. However, they're not going to get a chance to immediately check that out, as as soon as they turn that corner, they get the next line of defense. Four Mr. Gutsy robots move into attack position, and there's an iBot floating along with them. Stats for the Mr. Gutsies are on page 362, and the iBots are on page 359. Now, they might have noticed all of this before the fight, but if not, they'll definitely see it afterwards. The door at the end of the hallway is standing wide open, so they're not going to have to hack it to get in. 
Now that should set the hairs on the back of their neck on edge, and with good reason. Inside the door is a rather large antechamber. I mean, that's not exactly the right word to use, but what it was at one time, or at least what it was supposed to most likely be, was an outer office of some sort. However, the desks have been stacked along the side walls, and all the other office furniture was obviously moved out at some point to make room for the security that's in here. And that security at this point is going to be a big problem for the group. Two Assaultron robots are guarding access to the room beyond, and they attack on sight. Stats are on pages 357 and 358, and you need to be aware of the self-destruct option for these, as the six dice of damage that does could be a serious problem. But again, the group should prevail. They might be low on health points, ammo, and or supplies at this point, but they're this deep in, so why stop now? The door on the wall opposite where they entered is solid steel, as is the entire wall it's located on. As we've come to expect by this point, it's locked. Now, if the same person has done all the previous hacks, their difficulty on the intelligence plus science is only a one. Since by this point, they're pretty darn near an expert on these locking programs. Oh, and I probably should have noted this earlier. The locks are the only thing the group can access from these terminals. They can't get access to anything on the system. It's a closed loop system. So they can try all day long if they want. They're not breaking into anything else. If it's different people trying the various hacks, follow the reduction system we've been using according to how many hacks they've succeeded at previously. Once they get the door open, they're probably expecting some sort of security, either robot or human, and surprisingly, neither are here. There's a huge system of computers and systems that run the length of the far wall, but there's nobody here to operate them. One of the computers appears to be hackable, so somebody can try it. It's intelligence plus science difficulty five, unless somebody did all of the door hacks. In that case, we're gonna make it a four, since while this security is different, there's just enough similarity for them to have a better shot at it. When the hack's complete, there are three possible folders to access. Upgraded personnel, tactics and strategies, and top secret. We're gonna do these in order. Upgraded personnel gives the following report. The attempts to upgrade our human security personnel have, to this point, been unsuccessful. Our scientists and doctors have been noticing rejection issues with the robot parts attached to the limbs and or the artificial organs being placed within them. We have noticed great success with the chems we've synthesized for them, however, and all human personnel from this date forward will be on a regimen of our combination Psychobuff and Mentats formula. However, these items are not to be distributed to them to be carried on their person. They are to be administered with their food three times a day, and arrangements will be made with the mess hall personnel at each site. Also, the mess hall personnel are to be told these additives are vitamin and mineral additives to help support the immune system and healthier well-being. Now, the date on this entry is about 50 years ago. The Tactics and Strategies folders has this in it, and it's also dated about 50 years ago. Moving forward, our personnel are not to engage in military formations. While this should be a no-brainer, a number of our commanders have attempted these formations, and the number of casualties have been above acceptable levels. Personnel are to be utilized in smaller three- and four-member teams or as snipers and or guerrillas acting in hit-and-run capacities. Only if the scenario favors our side should larger numbers be used. In addition, all personnel are to be issued laser pistols, laser rifles, a cartridge-based backup weapon, and a full set of protective armor of the highest quality we can mass-produce. 
We have reached a point where our personnel need to look both professional and intimidating, and having a batch of mismatched, ill-equipped men and women does neither of those things. Finally, missiles and mini-nukes should only be used as a last resort. While our missions are almost always of the removal variety, there is always the opportunity to retrieve information of some use to either our organization or our employers, so having the opportunity to find that information is critical. Those teams utilizing high explosives in an operation will be required to submit a full report in triplicate detailing the reason or reasons why that option was utilized. The top secret folder can't be directly opened. It requires a password, so it's another hack. Again, if it's the same person doing all these hacks, and with my group it is the same one, usually, we'll reduce the intelligence plus science check to a three, otherwise it's a five. Once they hack in, they've got a folder. That folder reads Operation Brotherhood. When they open it, it's dated one year ago and reads from Jessica Denman. Effective immediately, all elite-level members of our combat teams will be required to participate in our memory storage procedures. They are to report to the facility at Barnes Hospital where they will be tested and treated. Once the treatment is completed, they are to be issued new, blacked-out Garson tactical gear and will be transferred to the command of Jason Glover. Now, there's a secondary folder at the bottom of the message that reads, For Glover's Eyes Only. Commander Glover, as we discussed in our meeting last week, the success of your memory transfer into a synth body has proven the technology works on a level high enough for us to take excellent soldiers and turn them into the equivalent of super soldiers, and we don't have to risk turning them into abominations in the process. I have ordered that all personnel currently considered to be at elite level be set to Barnes to go through the procedure immediately and to be assigned to you once it's completed. You know what your orders are at present and are to accept no other orders unless they come directly from me verbally. Otherwise, follow the parameters we discussed last week. Finally, in the event we're discovered by Elder Sandvar's group of Brotherhood of Steel members, you are to officially disband your team immediately and assign them through the city with the orders to create as much mischief and mayhem as they can. You are also to activate program C-31 with a 96-hour countdown. Ad victorium, Commander. Okay, so the group's got a decent amount of information they can download to take back to the Pacificists, but let's be real here. They're going to want to hack the system to see if they can figure out what program C-31 is and decide whether or not they should activate it. I mean, finding out they've been dealing with synths lately will probably send them into a fit of rage, so they're going to want to figure out the easiest way to deal with them. So, let's give them another hack attempt. They can try this by exiting completely out of the system and trying to hack back in. Now, regardless of who's doing this, the difficulty is a 5. Since it's something so well protected, they're going to have to work to get it. And failure is not an option. If they fail, the system shuts itself down, so they're not going to get a second chance. This would be a good spot to strongly suggest, however you'd like, that they use action points and or luck points to help themselves. And if they have an objection, just remind them that they'll reset after this scenario. Since I told you what happens if the hack fails, we'll just move on to a success. It calls up an option. Activate program. Now the group has to make another decision. Do you activate the program without knowing what it does? Or do you try another hack to see if you can find a program information page or something? And I guess I should acknowledge that the hack might have just been for information. If they were doing that, skip ahead a bit. If not, they'll have to log back out and do another hack at the same difficulty. And just like the last one, failure shuts the system down. 
When they get it, they find a file titled Program C31. It's addressed to a Dr. Stephen R. Dan and to somebody they didn't probably expect, though maybe they did at this point, Paladin Zane. Also dated a year ago, it reads, We've begun the transfer of all of our elite personnel into synths, as we discussed six months ago. Our hope is to have these transfers be successful in order to provide the Brotherhood with additional manpower to deal with Elder Sandvar when she and her team eventually make their way to the city. We understand that there will be a number of rejections of the transfer, so we're using a large enough group to account for the losses. In the event Elder Sandvar finds out about us before our combined forces can eliminate her and her team, I have instructed the commander of the unit to activate program C-31 with a 96-hour countdown. As Commander Glover is also a synth, I chose to not make him aware of what the program is. However, as we discussed in our meeting, the program will increase the aggressive tendencies of our synths while they make as much mayhem as they can in the city before the self-destruct programming we've built into them activates. The countdown is the only variable that's out of our hands, since it's dependent on Glover activating it from the bunker we've stuck him in for his safety. However, I believe that the probability of him not following my orders to the letter are slim to none, and the chances of someone else not only finding the program, but activating it without understanding it are also slim to none. When combined with Paladin Zane's Brotherhood of Steel team, we will have a force capable of destroying Elder Sandvar's team and take full control of the city, from which the building of our new order will commence. Ad Victorium. So, now that they understand what it is, they've got a decision to make. Activate the program or not. Now, most groups will probably still activate it, but there might be a few who don't, especially if Jessica Denman's still alive. But if they do activate it, they need to decide how much time to put on it. Before they can do that, they have to back out of this part of the system and get back into the other. If they've already done it, it's difficulty one. If they haven't yet, it's difficulty five. Once there, they see the command activate C31. When they click on it, it gives them the ability to put in however many hours they want, starting with one. So it's their call. I'm sure there will be a discussion about concerns of where these troops will be when they self-destruct and whether or not civilians will be harmed in the meanwhile, but it's ultimately the group's call. And you know what? I really need another week to think this over, so I think we're going to stop the build here for this week. Next week, we'll look into the various decisions the group can make and what the impact of those will be. In the meantime, check out role-playing history. This week, we're looking at movies and television based on role-playing games, Though, if I'm being honest, that's pretty much all Dungeons & Dragons based. But I tell you, it's still going to be a fun ride. Role-playing history is available wherever you get your podcasts or from the website badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modiphius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are utilized on this show for entertainment purposes only. To check out all of the products produced by Modiphius Entertainment, check out your local game shop or their website modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We have a presence all over social media, so check out the info box for this week's episode or the website badgmproductions.net to see where we are. Next week, we check out the ramifications of whatever decision the group makes about Program C-31, and we get them out on their next mission. That's next week. Until then, I'm the Bad GM Wayne Davis. I'll see you at the game table.